X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, September 28th. A great day to subscribe, to share with a friend. Thanks to the folks who participated in the X-Ray Awards. I think we'll be doing an encore performance. It was quite a show. Today, back in the day, September 28th, 1918, a Liberty Loan parade in Philadelphia caused a major outbreak of Spanish flu in the city. After the parade, thousands of people got infected. It caused the death of 12,000 people in the city. By the time that pandemic ended in 1920, an estimated 20 to 50 million people had died worldwide. A reminder, the Spanish flu did not originate in Spain. Spain was one of the few European countries to remain neutral during World War I. Wartime censors of the countries who were engaged in the war were suppressing news of the flu to avoid impacting morale. Spanish media, though, was free to report on it. The first known case of Spanish flu was reported at a military base in Kansas on March 11, 1918. But the president at the time didn't seem that eager to claim credit. France, China, and Britain have all been suggested as potential birthplaces of that flu. In Spain, they called it the French flu. Today, back in the day, September 28, 1895, the first ever car race was held in Chicago. Prizes went up to $5,000. Six automobiles took part. The first cars had been produced only two years before that race. The route was from Chicago to Evanston and back, 54 miles in total. The winning car took 7 hours and 53 minutes to complete the race, traveling an average of 7 miles an hour. And today, back in the day, September 28, 1968, Hey Jude by the Beatles hit the number one spot in the Billboard charts. Hey Jude is over seven minutes long. It's the longest song ever to hit number one. It still holds that record to this day. But hey, it's actually a technicality. American Pie by Don McLean is longer, but it came out an album with part one on one side and part two on the other side. And for those of you wondering, November Rain by Guns N' Roses, I did my own research for this, based on our memory. Only hit number three on the Billboard charts. That only reached number three on the Billboard charts. Today we will have your quick six news headlines and an interview with Alec Zielinski, news editor of the Portland Mercury. We'll talk police accountability. X-Ray. First up, it is today's quick six local rundown. The far-right hate group The Proud Boys showed up to North Portland on Saturday with not as many people as expected. Around 10 a.m. on Saturday, members of that group showed up at Delta Park. The Proud Boys have come from out of town before to incite violence. On Friday, Governor Brown announced a state of emergency in anticipation of violent clashes between the Proud Boys and counter-protesters. Brown put Oregon State Police in charge of responding to the rally. Proud Boys had applied for a permit but were denied due to violations of COVID-19 safety guidelines. They said they were going to have way too many people. Turned out they didn't have that many people. They expected thousands of people to show up for an event. It was supposed to last three hours. Well, they had 200 to 300. They gathered for about 90 minutes. A group of cars with thin blue line flags and MAGA hats honked and made quite a noise driving by my house and turning around the block and passing it three times this weekend. Counter-protesters gathered in the nearby historic Vanport site. There were no major instances of violence between the groups. Three arrests were made relating to the demonstrations. The rallies dispersed at about 4 p.m. Demonstrators gathered at the Justice Center downtown later at 9 p.m. And by 11.30, the protest was declared an unlawful assembly and police used aggressive crowd control tactics. Several journalists reported police using force against clearly marked press personnel. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. On Sunday, the Health Authority reported 240 new cases, bringing the confirmed count to 32,820. One more person has died, bringing that count to 547. 
Meanwhile, schools are still adjusting to remote learning. Majority of Oregon students are going to class online, but younger students are returning to classes in districts who have met the new returning guidelines. In Portland, public school students are getting only four and a half hours a week on synchronous learning. Synchronous, I think, means at the same time. Middle schoolers meet with their teachers on Mondays and Tuesdays, but they're expected to complete their work independently after that. And of course, all the middle schoolers spend Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday diligently studying. That's certainly what I did when I was in middle school and stayed home. Hey, Jeff, what are you doing on Wednesday? I'm completing my work independently. Well, what about Thursday? What are you doing tomorrow? Well, I will still be completing my work independently. Well, Jeff, what about Friday? That is the day I expect to complete my work independently. And Beaverton students are meeting with their teachers every day except for Wednesday. Sorry, Beaverton kids. No COVID snow days for you. (laughs) Except for Wednesdays. Other issues are impacting online learning, including the racist tirade we mentioned before interrupting a back-to-school online event at Ron Russell Middle School. There have also been several other reports of racist intruders in class meetings. And in Clatsop County, a seafood cannery was the center of a 77-case outbreak, prompting the local school buildings to close. Some big businesses are putting in big money to stop taxation for transportation. The ballot measure would, if approved by voters, expand the max light rail system and help fund free youth passes. And that would be funded by a tax on large business payrolls. It would cost about $5 billion. But now Nike, Intel, and Tillamook Creamery have given big money, in some cases over $100,000, to the Stop the Metro Wage Tax Campaign. They received not quite a million dollars, $840,000 in donations. If the measure passes, businesses with more than 25 workers will be taxed 0.75% on payrolls starting in 2022. That would fund 20 years of transportation improvement. Workers would not be taxed directly. It would just cost businesses slightly more to employ them. Supporters say it'll increase construction jobs, expand accessibility to transportation. Opponents say it could damage local business and deter future investment. And, well, it's a tax. The Portland Business Association urged the Metro Council to delay the vote. And that measure is just one of a bunch to be voted on November, alongside the universal preschool measure and a vote on bonds for libraries and public schools. The Oregon Secretary of State has released a statement encouraging voters to vote by mail. Bev Clarno, Oregon's Republican Secretary of State, issued her statement on Friday telling voters to send in their ballots. Here's the quote. So that Oregon can lead the nation in voter turnout and your voice will be heard. Oregon was the first state to vote completely by mail 20 years ago. Since then, Colorado, Hawaii, Utah, and Washington have adopted the model. Clarno's statement represents a split in the Republican Party contrasting President Trump's unfounded claims of voter fraud. In 2016, 22 people were discovered to have voted in two states, including Oregon. That wasn't 1% of voters. It wasn't 0.1% of voters. It wasn't 0.01% of voters or 0.00 or 0.0000. It was actually 0.000011% of voters, or basically one out of every 100,000. And more states are considering fully voting by mail during the pandemic. And officials say that although we can trust the results of a mail-in election, there's a paper record after all, it might take some time to get them back. And more people are expected to vote by mail than ever before, with fewer people able to count. Brian Van Bergen, representative of the Oregon Association of County Clerks, said that even though we might not get the results on election night, here's the quote, we will all be better off if we understand that we may not have the percentage of ballots processed that we normally would when we go home on election night. Ballots will start making their way to voters by October 14th. That's pretty soon. Officials say that ballots should be sent in at least a week before November 3rd. 
Congress is finally nullifying the treaty that betrayed the Warm Springs and Wasco tribes back in 1865. In 1855, the two tribes forfeited their claim to about 10 million acres in order to avoid forceful removal by the U.S. government. In exchange for the land, the tribes were promised they would still be able to use their lands to hunt, fish, and forage as they had for thousands of years. But 10 years later, in 1865, a U.S. official drew up a supplemental treaty which banned members of the tribes from leaving their reservation without permission. And finally, after 155 years, Congress has voted to nullify that supplemental treaty. Oregon has not enforced the treaty for a long time. Last year, Cape Brown disavowed it. Republican Senator Mark Hatfield, who left office in 1997, had made efforts to formally nullify it. The Warm Springs, Wasco, and Paiute tribes were all settled in one reservation. In 1937, they formed a confederacy and a constitution for self-governance. Louis Pitt, the director of governmental affairs for the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, had this to say, as we recall, that is as important to us as the air we breathe. It was not something we lost. It was something that was taken. Louis Pitt says he's not celebrating the nullification until the president signs it into law. Some good news. Construction on I-5 has ended early. When does that happen? The Oregon Department of Transportation began reopening lanes of the I-5 bridge on Friday night. The lanes were expected to be closed until Monday, but were reopened early along with four nearby ramps. The bridge had been closed since September 19th to allow for the replacement of bridge mechanisms. Actually, bridge lift mechanisms. The closures caused traffic delays, but not as bad as we're expected because a lot of people are at home not driving as much. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. Next up, we have an interview with Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury. She'll be discussing Commissioner Hardesty's police accountability ballot measure. Here's Alex Zelensky speaking with X-Ray's Jefferson Smith. Alex Zelensky of the Portland Mercury, good morning. Good morning. Do we have any idea what's going to be on the ballot that you particularly want to talk about? Were you there at Commissioner Hardesty's police accountability ballot measure confab? Uh, yeah, I mean, she, she had a kickoff for her campaign, uh, for the campaign a couple days ago. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting because this, this ballot measure has been proposed. Um, I think it was proposed kind of pretty quickly after the beginning of our, uh, our Black Lives Matter rallies and protests in Portland. And it was proposed as kind of a, a step, um, in the right direction when it comes to police reform locally um, by Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, who, as a lot of people know, have been working on this issue for uh, decades in, in Portland. And the proposal itself is is a bit wonky. Uh, City Council referred it to the ballot, uh, so it will be voted on in November, but there are a lot of pieces to this uh, measure that I, I think are hard to unpack and hard to unpack at a quick kind of soundbite or a campaign uh, slogan. Um, and so I've been, I've been looking into it in the past week or so um, in my own research or writing a story about it. And, you know, it, it aims to do something pretty lofty. It aims to create an oversight group to replace the current uh, civilian oversight group uh, the city has over the police uh, who, you know, it, it, in instances where police are, um, have, appeared to commit some kind of misconduct. Um, And this oversight group would review cases uh, that come forward from the community or from other police officers, um, which is already happening right now, you know, in the city, but would have 
the power to discipline and to even terminate um, officers who they believe uh, are doing something inconsistent with city policy or police policy, which right now uh, the civilian oversight group that exists can rec- make those recommendations, but it's up to the police chief or the police commissioner to make the final decision whether or not they should fire or discipline a police officer. So, and yeah, and we had we've had members. Uh, Candace Avalos has been a member of that body, and she left right. the body saying it doesn't. It, we don't have any power. We can't do anything. We can write a paper, yeah. but nobody even has to read our paper. Right. Exactly. It's been really frustrating for the people who've been on that committee for, uh, which is called the, the um, Citizen Review Committee, uh, for for years since it began. I think um, this whole. You know, it's interesting, I'm looking to the history of this, the CRC and um, the Investigative Police Review Office, which is what the CRC lives under, um, was actually created uh, after a report was put together by a committee that, that Joanne Hardesty sat on in 2000. Um, and so it's interesting now to see, you know, two decades later, her coming, uh, looking to kind of replace the the board that she um, put together with something with something essentially better. I think the interesting part that's missing, though, is the, the powers that this measure is promising. Um, if we vote, if the public votes to um, enshrine this new commission into its city charter, uh, which is the equivalent of a um, you know the Constitution of Portland, uh, if if we vote to, to pass that in November this won't immediately create a commission. Um, and legally, we won't be able to create that commission with those kind of powers without uh, substantial changes to state law, to city code, to the police union contract. Um, there's going to be a lot of work that has to be done to actually see this lofty, um, this lofty goal of this commission to fruition. It, it's, it's going to take legwork. And I think, you know, uh, Commissioner Hardesty and other folks in the campaign have spoken about that, but I think it's really hard to see that right now when you look at just the title and you hear the promises of having, you know, citizens being able to over, you know, uh, rule over police and uh, see real reform. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of necessary um, and, you know, probably some lawsuits also that are going to come up after this is passed from the police, um, Portland Police Association that it's going to be it's not going to be a simple fix and um and so i've you know i've been trying to kind of poke around to make sure it's really clear for voters kind of what this is and what this isn't um and especially in terms of kind of the urgent demands for reform and for change that we're seeing on the streets in portland um you know across the country And there's yeah. been, we saw recently that uh, polling came out uh, about the measure. And what did that, well, remind us what that polling told us. I mean, I, I remember, but you remind us. Yeah. Yeah. Polling told us that people were in favor of this new measure, that people were majority supportive. Uh, I think that the headline, um, the like headline that came from that polling was mostly uh, showed the the public's current trust or support of Ted Wheeler, um, which not was not necessarily you know the, the purpose of this polling, um, and it showed that he had you know twenty something percent support, and it showed that Joanne Hardesty had a lot more support and trust by the community, um, 
but it also, yeah, it shows that this is something that the majority of Portlanders would like to see. They'd like to see a new commission. They'd like to see more more independent oversight. Um, but again, you know, it's something that, that takes more than just a vote to set into motion. Um, and so I'll, I'll be, it'll be curious and interesting to see kind of what, um, you know, two years from now, if this is passed, actually um, is able to function and, and able to exist. I mean, other critics of the measure are folks who've been involved in, um, including people who've sat in the CRC in the past and people who've been involved in the protests and kind of have been calling for um, changes to, to reform and accountability. And they say that this is enshrining the idea of oversight into city charter, which basically is enshrining the idea of the standard, you know, police system that we have as something that, that should still exist and should still have the kind of measure, the kind of level of oversight that we have, um, instead of taking a second to look at the entire system and say, okay, are we just looking at, at the back end? Are we just trying to repair these, you know, misconduct issues that police are constantly engaging in? Or should we be talking about, you know, what does policing, what does public, um, you know, safety look like in Portland? Which I think is a conversation that people are really ready to have instead of replacing um, one commission with another, even if it will, you know, be a, a measure of harm reduction in the meantime. So, yeah, no, I hear that. The, yeah, there have been a maybe we can for ease of language say that yeah, the critique from the left, maybe the maybe the further edges of that region are. Wait a minute, no, any what I heard you say is anything that says the word police in it that's not just reducing their funding uh, is uh, we should. Uh, we can't we can't get on board with that. That's missing the mark. But it doesn't it doesn't sound like the people pushing this are limiting themselves. They're like they're not promoting uh, greater funding for police officers. And they're not. And, and if it's Joanne Hardesty we're talking about, I mean, heck, she was pushing Portland Street response. She's not just pushing uh, this measure. Right. She's been looking at a broader, right. a broader yeah. view There's as well. Yeah. Pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I'm, I'm talking about folks who who have seen this um, displayed as the solution to uh, issues right now in Portland. And uh, I think for, for some voters, it might be easy just to, to vote yes and say that, hey, we, we fix it um, without thinking about all the other pieces that need to go into play to um, to see real accountability and real change. Yeah, and, and, and a good reminder, like anybody who thinks, I mean, heck, the election of Barack Obama, oh, we got that done, we elected a black president, racism is over now. I, you know, right. I, I think it's, I think we know that it requires eternal vigilance to try to bend the arc history towards justice. I think we get that. Anything else on that one, or is there another story you want to make sure we get to? Um, no, I think, I mean, that is, that's all I'm, I'm focused on right now. I mean, we obviously have a, um, on this weekend, where the city is kind of preparing itself for yet another visit by the Proud Boys, the far-left group of um of you know not local guys who are coming to um, kind of decry anti-fascists and just Portland leadership as a whole. Um, they're holding a rally in Delta Park, which is the same area where um, the uh, the historic flood that kind of swept out a, a large amount of 
African-American Portlanders and displaced them uh, in the early 1900s took place, which which I feel like a lot of folks say that's, you know, a bit symbolic um, of this kind of notably racist and um, certified hate group coming out to, to protest there. Um, and, you know, we're not really sure how the police are planning on responding any differently. We do know that they're not going to have the support from other uh, from Multnomah uh, Sheriff Department, from out, other outside uh, law enforcement agencies, because of Mayor Ted Wheeler's decision to ban CS gas or you know tear gas a couple weeks ago, um, those agencies believe that they cannot do the job without that option, um, which puts us at a uh, in a precarious situation um, in in many ways, but. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how our law enforcement decides to respond to uh, this protest, especially with another counter protest planned um, in Peninsula Park, not too far away. Um, they're expected to, to probably meet up and clash at some point. Um, but, you know, it's another moment of, of just seeing how, especially protests with differing views and really polarized views and with one group that um, has been identified as a hate group is, are treated by law in Portland. And the last time Proud Boys came to town last August, we saw what uh, the mayor and the, the chief of police at the time said were, was a really great tactic of separating the two groups and moving, uh, allowing the Proud Boys to uh, take over the Hawthorne Bridge and, and walk safely back to their cars, um, kind of protecting them from counter-protesters in hopes of just letting them, you know, getting them out of town. But the optics of it made it seem um, like, you know, police were allowing this, this hate group to happily march across a, a Portland bridge to safety um, and and call it a day. Um, so we're... Um, and the Parks Department, the Parks Department had denied the permit, right? Commissioner Amanda Fritz saying that yeah. it would violate social distancing guidelines. But that doesn't stop the protest. Right. I mean, all of these protests that we've seen in the last three months of uh, local folks protesting police brutality, none of those have had, um, have had permits. Uh, and, and they've been, you know, able to go on in some instances. But um, it's pretty rare that uh, a group will cancel a rally if they're denied a permit. Um, and, and it's, you know, kind of illegal to, to bar groups from um, not not being able to express their First Amendment rights. So there's only so much the city can do. We're talking to Alex Zielinski, news editor of the Portland Mercury. Yeah, now that, it, now that the battle lines are not... Uh, and and it's unfortunate that it, they feel like battle lines. It doesn't feel like an argument between anti-racism and ra- racism. Now it feels like there's sort of a, a sideshow fight between whatever has been defined as Antifa and whatever is defined as Proud Boys and say, hey, look at that little fight. And it looks way too similar to me to uh, little trumped up fights in Ukraine that Putin would put together so that it would distract people from legitimate moral arguments in the democracy that needed to be faced. Uh, And then meanwhile, now it feels like there's a fight between uh, protesters and police. And again, how do we, and I'm not articulating this great, but it does frustrate, how do we maintain focus 
on the places where people can have impact? How do we maintain focus on trying to root out racism and try to root out and work against white supremacy and promote a better democracy? Uh, Who's right now having the most constructive conversations that you've been tracking? Um, it's interesting because it, it, it's not one thing, right? Like I think, and, and you yeah. know this, but when it comes to civil rights movements, when it comes to movements to, to move the needle on uh, issues like racism and, and like brutality against law enforcement, from law enforcement, it, it takes so many different players using so many different tactics. And what has grabbed the headlines of what everyone knows about is, are these protests that are happening in Portland, which is one tool um, but yeah, there are these conversations like folks, you know, Joanne Hardesty is having with this ballot measure people of state legislature are having, um, and, and a lot of activists kind of behind the scenes are having who aren't on the front lines of these protests. Um, but I, you know, I'd argue that whatever happens this weekend is not just a distraction. I think yeah. it's showing, um, it's showing the world and showing Portlanders kind of, you know, what it's come to when we have um, people who engage in uh, in hateful violence, people who are um, racist and, and, and who really want to suppress uh, the, the protests in Portland right now come to town, um, how Portland police respond to either, you know, protect their city. I mean, these are kind of the, the conversations we had last year and the year before when uh, Patriot Prayer and Proud Boys and other. Oh, no, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. And and to be clear, uh, you mentioned Joanne Hardesty as well. She has said that, but for the protests, there wouldn't have been the votes on the city council to refer what she uh, what she referred out. So the, uh, obviously, it plays a critical role in social movements. And I'm trying to right. figure out for myself how do I help train my own brain not only on the thing that's wow look at that not only on the the heat or the light but on the thing that's making the most change and sometimes that's the heat sometimes that's the light sometimes that's a transformative redesign mechanism right yeah it's a lot and it's hard to not um to focus on the the most you know eye-catching thing and to look into it and spend a lot of time focusing on what's right or what's wrong and kind of if they're doing it the right way if they're doing it the wrong way um you know it's gonna be messy and it is messy and um these things take time i think i mean i'm learning as i go um but also going back and reading how you know civil rights movements in the past have operated and they've taken years and they've taken a lot of people feeling uncomfortable a lot of uh, the status quo being upset that there's too much violence and there's discoordination yeah. and they're not hearing a clear message and it's you know it's not a tidy process alex Zelinsky, portland mercury thank you so much for joining us as always thank you thanks to alex for joining the local thank you for listening to the local your hometown in about 30 minutes and thanks for subscribing giving a five-star review sharing with friends and having a wonderful day and thank you democracy talk to you tomorrow x-ray